Hello, yummy mummies. Welcome to Beyond the Bump, a podcast brought to you by Jade Caldwell and Sophie Pierce. This podcast is targeted at mums, mums to be, and women in general. And gents, feel free to have a listen too. It's a place to have real discussions and ask real questions, no matter how hard, with honest and authentic people. The aim is to have you feeling lighter, more supported, and more understood after every listen. Now, we can't promise that it will always be kept PG, so please be mindful around little ears. Here we go. Hello, Sophie. Whoa. Hello, Jade. We are not cheery this morning. <laughs> what is going on? Oh, I don't want to talk about it, but the dirty we've C got word. whiplash. Whipper. Whipped more than ever before. We literally, on the eve of lockdown, we get told there's another bloody effing case. No, the so eve of I coming that- out of lockdown. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eve of coming out of yeah. lockdown. So anyway, whatever. We're not talking about it. I'm just infuriated for everything, everyone. I'm so done with it. But um, how are you? I'm really good because I live in a different shire. <laughs> you were in lockdown literally last week. I was in lockdown, week. but obviously I'm very happy to be out of lockdown. Probably by the time this comes out, I'll have jinxed it and I'll be bloody back in lockdown again. So who the hell knows? <laughs> but this second right now, I'm out of lockdown. But yeah, I'm really good. I've actually had a great week. My high of the week, I'm just going to launch right in and anyone Go. who follows me on Instagram, will be like, we fucking get it, Soph. You bought a Kindle. Oh, yeah. But can I just say, yes, game changer. And I know last week I was recommending AirPods and this week I'm recommending Kindles, which are like from Amazon. So like, you know, I'm not really supporting small business with this, <laughs> but so, so good. I got one of the ones that is backlit. So the main reason I got it is that I have to lie down at night for Poppy to go to sleep. And sometimes if it takes a while, I can get really, really frustrated because I'm like, oh, there's all these other things I could be doing. I want to be doing like, this is the time that I should be able to wind down. Like, you know, you're tapped out of parenting by that point. You just want to have a glass of wine and chill out. Mm-mm. So, and obviously if I wanted to read a book, I would have to turn the lamp on and there's absolutely no way she would go to sleep with me next to her flipping pages. But this thing is backlit so I can sit there. She doesn't even know I'm reading. I'm just laying next to her while she sometimes rabbits on, sometimes goes to sleep. And it's like I get me time without getting frustrated at her for potentially taking a while to fall to sleep. It is so, so good. And I've also found that I've been picking up my phone less because, you know, I reach for that instead. If the girls are watching TV and just having quiet time, I pick that up. The housework has gone to absolute shit because I've been like, I don't want to fold laundry. I want to read my Kindle. Anyway, that's been my high of the week. It is so, so good. Well, it sounds like a little bit of a mum <laughs> hack that you've got there. Unintentional. I think so. It is. And people have been like, how the hell do you find time to read as a mum? And I think it's just one of those things that you have to find time. It's kind of like exercise. You have to create the time. And when I'm really into a book, I don't like watch TV and that kind of thing. So I feel like it kind of replaces that time. And yeah, I stopped doing the laundry. (laughs) So that's about (laughs) it. Yep. And not really any lows this week. I feel like I've been in good spirits this week. Oh, well, that's good. good. How about yourself? Well, my high is the polar opposite in terms of you banging on about technology 
I am. You've been burning books. I <laughs> am going off the grid. I'm going camping. So we can literally be all together in tents, just having a nice time with just us. So yeah, I'm really looking forward to actually switching off my phone and reading a book, an actual book where I flick the pages, should have got a Kindle, but I didn't listen to this episode until we're <laughs> recording it now. <clears throat> uh, just slipping in here with a slight addendum. Jade, you're back. Tell yeah. us about your <laughs> camping I have <laughs> just been in tears to Sophie crying, like I was bawling my eyes out and I've got the strength to come back on here. It's it's really quite too early, to be honest, to be even laughing about a situation like this, but we thought we'd pump it out now because by the end of next week it's my birthday and I do not want to be talking about this trip. And you know what? People were probably listening to that first bit being like, bitch, she gets yep. to go camping, what I'd give to go on a holiday and go camping, so don't worry, guys. <laughs> so after we finished recording that day, I got straight into the car. We packed everything the night before, and I mean we packed everything and the kitchen sink. Like it was packed. Thought we were prepared, thought everything was good to go. We knew that there was rain coming, so we're like, let's get there before the rain comes. We arrive, we start setting up, we set up the gazebo. We're like, yep, that's great, we're killing it. And then Nick opens the tent bag and he's like, oh, where are the pegs? And I'm like, oh, I don't know, but I've got spare pegs. Don't worry about it. He's like, no, Jade, like the connectors to go through the tent to like hold it up, those pegs. And I'm like. Oh, like the stick things. Yes like the frame of the tent. And I'm like, I don't know, I didn't pack it. Surely they'll be in there. Why don't you go and check the trailer? Um, there's no tent pegs. There's nothing. So we have tent a poles. It's poles, right, it's I think. Poles. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Tent poles. No tent poles. We have a gazebo up. The rain's coming in. We've got the kids. We've got all what our stuff. What time is it by now? It's about four o'clock. And I thought, you know what, if we can get tarps up around the gazebo and just cover in as much as we can, tomorrow I'll go to Yamba, I'll grab another tent and we'll all be okay. So it'll be fine. Let's just get through this one night. And so it started raining. We had dinner. It was really, really lovely. And then <laughs> at about 10 o'clock at night, Nick comes to bed and he thought it would be a good idea because the canopy of the gazebo was sinking in with all the rain and he's mm. like, oh, it's going to snap if we don't, like, get rid of it. So he goes to. No. Yeah, he goes to flick it out, like jump and flick it out. All of it goes on Billy's face. She's and she's asleep. asleep. She screams, like, <laughs> she's drenched. The poor thing is drenched. <laughs> So then I go, don't worry about it, babe. Just come into the bed, come in with me. It'll be fine. We lay down. Then all the sides start getting leaked in. Like it starts getting really, really torrential. There is like wet blankets, wet pillows. Half my pillow was wet all the way around, all the way around the sides. I wake up at 4 a.m. because I'm like, oh, let's just check everything. Yumi's bag has like the whole entire case is saturated. Not one item of dry clothing, not one, not even knickers, nothing. So she's only got what's on her back. And then 
we just get up in the morning and I just said, we can't even come back from this. And it is such a freaking shame because like, even if I got a tent right now, we have wet stuff and today's not dry enough to dry all this out. We're screwed. Like there is, we just had no option but to pack up. We weren't even there for like, we we got there at four and we left, we were driving out at 9am. Like, I am so defeated and the reason that I'm so defeated is any parent listening knows the effort it takes to pack for any time but any effort with children because you've got to get like the Panadol they might have or the Stingos that they might need. You think of everything. You think of everything plus camping like we need forks, oil, knives, sugar, blah, blah, blah. Take the food with you that you're going to (sighs) make. All of it, like every single thing. And I think on top of that, you have had literally disaster holidays for the past two years. Two More, years. longer, I think, since you've had kids. Yeah, we have. And and we've been begging, like, obviously, you know, no one's gone on a holiday, but it was, lockdown was open. We thought, you beauty, even if it's raining, we just want to get out. We let the kids run around. Like, we just want that little bit of time out. And it didn't happen. We, <laughs> we got back in the car and drove home and you know what we we were so disappointed and infuriated that we weren't even arguing like we both knew how messed up it was that we had nothing Mm. we had nothing to even say to each other yeah you know what I did say surely you would have gone through the whole tent bag to make sure but he just assumed that it'd all be in there so I don't know who's to blame but not only that, we went with a family friend of ours who were completely set up. They were absolutely dry. They, they were legends. They were so helpful. On our way home, she messages me and says, so you know that there was a cross and flowers where you were actually camping, like that actual spot? And I was like, oh, well, that's a bit creepy. And she's like, no, we asked the ranger what happened? And he said, you don't want to know. And obviously we said, yes, we do want to know. He said that a hitchhiker got chopped and hacked up into tiny little pieces and was found there. No. Yep. And hang on, wait for it. They still haven't found the murderer. Oh my And then the night of, one of her children came out of the tent going, can you please tell dad to stop tapping and talking near the tent? And we're like, babe. (gasps) Oh my God. Maybe it's a good thing you forgot the I think so. Because wait, then, then literally five minutes later, like Em said, she's like, he's, they're way, way, way far away. Then no one's near the tent, babe. I don't know what you're talking about. And then they tell us on their way out, a car comes flying down, goes into an embankment, he even perhaps saw a kangaroo or something, and he fell out the window and their children saw it. This happened yesterday. If there are any signs to say, <laughs> don't you fucking go camping, they were it. All of that combined. Oh, so have they just headed home too? They packed up and left because then the guy, then the ranger said, this is going to be the worst storm in 100 years to hit. Oh, everyone says that about every storm, but, yes, the weather was heck. <laughs> anyway, we came home. I tried to take the girls by the pool to sit down and have, like, 10 <laughs> minutes of me time, even to pick up a book or just anything just to go, you know what, we're all good. 
nah, I got splashed on, someone stole my chair, someone spilt food, and I, I imploded yesterday. I actually broke down. No, and we're laughing about it, but you feel literally broken. I'm like so you're laughing because di- so if you disheveled. don't laugh, you cry. I I cried. I did cry. And I, I guess it's just because it's not the first time we've had such a shit-ass experience, but also <laughs> then you have to come home and deal with the aftermath of all the wet stuff and all the dirt and all the, the food. Like, anyway, long story short is I'm never going anywhere with my kids and I'm only <laughs> going away to a beautiful hotel far, far away without my children and my family. Does your husband get to go? No, I'm sick of him too. <laughs> I've had enough. I'm just going alone. Where are we going and when, girl? Oh, we're, go- we're going everywhere, babe. <laughs> Stay tuned. So good. Well, Nick just told me about another hunting weekend, so I have so <laughs> many nights away just like ready to use. So you tell me when and where and I'll be there and I'll promise you I will not shout in your face. Even just and the I thought. And I will let oh, you, you read can. your book. Do you know what? Even just the thought, and I think this is where parents appreciate even just one hour of time to yourself, the appreciation that you have or going away without children or a child is just beyond or sitting in a plane seat without having a child on your lap. These are the moments that we are relishing in when we go away. Yeah. So... I hope next year, guys, we all have these beautiful memories and we can all be like, woohoo! And this is the last shit story that I can tell, but I, I have a feeling it's not. <laughs> <laughs> now we've got a mum hack that was sent in. I laughed pretty hard at this because I think it's pretty brilliant. I'm going to read the whole message because she was quite complimentary. Oh, you know, yes. We love a big ego boost around here. Yes. Ladies, adore your show. I'm 31 weeks pregnant and having you both in my pocket has guided me through my first pregnancy in ways that I'm forever thankful for. My mum hack to get an extra couple of months out of your Lululemon leggings, or I assume any leggings, mm. is to turn them around so the butt area becomes the new bump sack. It works an absolute treat. <laughs> How good is that? <laughs> that is genius. That what is brilliant. a legend. Yeah. Absolute legend. You probably have to wait to the point where your tummy surpasses your ass. <laughs> yeah. You know, you know that point? It's like, you know, you've got a little bit of a belly, but your ass is still bigger than your bump. And then you reach this point where you go, oh, today's the day that my bump has surpassed my ass. And then you flip those leggings around and you're good to go. That is absolutely genius. I love that. That is an actual mum hack. Now, do you have a rude or fabulous for us? Um, okay. So my Rudolph fabulous was I was doing something on social media. I posted something. And sometimes when I do this on the potty account, Sophie will like message and be like, oh, there's a spelling error or this, this, and this. Or, and I'll go, oh, okay. Anyway, so. Paraphrase, micromanage. Yeah, micromanage and slash control freak, self-confessed, but I agree. And then, <laughs> and then she called me the other day, literally five seconds after I posted and I, it rang and I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. Anyway, <laughs> what have I, done I answered and I go, hello. And she goes, oh, what? Hi. And I'm like, what have I done? Uh, what have I done? And she's like, nothing. Whoa, how scary am I? 
But I just want to know, is Sophie... I was literally calling her for a chat and the first thing she said is, what have I done wrong? (laughs) I'm glad you find it hilarious. If that doesn't sum up our relationship, I don't know what does. So is it rude or fabulous? It's rude and it's fabulous because if I wasn't as self-aware as I already am, I could be offended by that. But I know I'm annoying and I know I'm a control freak. (laughs) And I know at times you've said, I'm sure it shits you to tears, but at other times you've gone, no, I love that about you because it keeps us in check. Absolutely. So can we just call it fabulous and say that we're this far into the podcast now, we know how one another work, but I promise sometimes I will call you for positive things, not just negative I'm going to call it rude and fabulous. Is that allowed? Okay, fabulous. All right, so let's tell our legendary listeners about today's episode. Only the legendary ones, the non-legendary ones have to turn their their podcast off now. No, today's episode is with Derek. He is the director of raisingchildren.net.au and they have just recently launched an app too that's called Raising Healthy Minds app. And basically this site is an extremely popular platform that houses all different types of evidence-based parenting and kid tools. And we focus today on what the evidence is out there for you know, trying to help our little ones with mental well-being. And this was such a, it was a different chat for us, but I really, really loved everything that Derek had to say. All right, let's uh, let everyone enjoy. (laughs) (laughs) Hello, Derek, and welcome to Beyond the Bump today. Now, before we get started, can you tell our lovely listeners a little bit about yourself and what your role is? Sure. Yep. My name is Derek McCormick. I'm the director at Raising Children Network. I'd say government-funded, evidence-based platform that's been going for about 15 years online. And what we do there is we provide information to parents on a range of topics across the age range, zero to 18. And as director, I oversee the work going on there, especially recent work we've just done on a new app. Amazing. And so day in, day out, you make sure the information is evidence-based or what is it that you do? What I do is I'll essentially manage a large team and ensure that they've got what they need to keep going. And what they're doing day to day is developing content and they're doing it with experts all the time. And then then there's a big job to do in keeping that content up to date. Mm. And there's a lot of it on there. So in a nutshell, what we're doing is we're using our connections with experts and our abilities to make really nice, engaging content and translating science, translating what parenting mm. is about for parents who are on on the go and they have questions or concerns. Mm. Now, who do you find are the main people that are accessing your site? Like, is it just parents in general or, you know, a specific demographic or? Well, it's a national platform. We get, and we get traffic overseas too, but in in Australia, it's parents across the board and grandparents and other people who are caring for children. It's about, last time I looked, about 10, 11% professionals as well who are answering questions when we ask, who are you? Mm -hmm. So it's teachers, maternal child health nurses, GPs, but mostly parents and a lot of parents in the first eight years. 
especially. So Derek, we've decided today we are going to focus, I mean, your site covers so much, but due to the recent launch of your app, which is Raising Healthy Minds, let's focus on what evidence there is out there for helping our little one's mental well-being. Uh, my GP actually, one of the GPs got that website up when I was there once because I was asking a question about something very minor and he suggested if you ever have something that you want to sort of diagnose and you can't get to the doctor straight away, this is a brilliant website because you do have a range of topics and conversations that cover so many things when it comes to children. What seems to be the main mental health issues that our kids are facing these days? Yeah, well, you're you're right. Often people use what we've got as a bit of a doorstep before they jump into more Mm. support and it covers a lot of different topics. On that question, generally speaking, it doesn't change over time. We have more traffic and more demand now, of course, but the needs for information on mental health and how kids are going, that picture doesn't change greatly over time because anxiety, for example, which is a common concern, anxiety and depression would be things that parents might be wondering about with their kids, especially getting to the early teens. And those things stay constant. And those things are, um, as questions, they stay constant in terms of what the main issues are at the moment. And over time, it's usually stress, worries, and anxieties that go up and down, depending on what's happening in a child's life or in a parent's life. And what we know about those things is that to an extent, anxieties and worries, these are part of life. These are things you learn to, to live and adapt with, unless it becomes more of a serious issue or a condition. And when it comes to conditions, they do fall into two brackets, really. If something more serious is going on, it will fall into a condition like depression and anxiety that needs extra help, or it might fall into another bracket, which is things like uh, attention deficit disorder or defined disorder. These these more disorders that would need further support as well. But those are conditions that uh, that might seek a diagnosis. But before you get to that stage, most of what we hear from parents is around children just having difficulty on a lower level. You know, anxiety is going up, anxiety is going down, worries to do at school, worries to do with friends. Uh, those things are kind of what we hear constantly over the years. And have you found that recently with, you know, the lockdowns in Australia still going on, have you found that there has been an exacerbation in the amount of parents reaching out for help? Yep, yep. Uh, in 2020, we saw a huge increase in uh, demand for what we have. Mm. Not surprising because services were stretched and, and people weren't accessing services uh, that were available. Mm. Then we got into 2021, we had more increases in the demand. We saw when we kind of dug a bit deeper, we saw that the concerns were in areas like homeschooling, lockdown, and also just concerns about going back, going back to COVID normal and yeah. what it'll be like for parents and children once we you know, ease into that, because it's a mixed bag for some children. They have quite enjoyed or accepted lockdown. And for other children, yeah, they just really need to get back. And it's not as simple mm. as you know everybody wants to get back. So there's that on the radar that we're thinking about. But over, over the last few months, we've had record numbers more than ever. Parents coming into us, uh, I think in the July quarter, we had two and a half million parents jump onto our resources just because of lockdown related issues. Now, when I say lockdown, the stuff that they're searching for is kind of the same stuff that parents are always searching for. It was just more of it. Hmm. So sleep, behavior, 
early parenting. What a surprise. Yeah. <laughs> Sleep. <laughs> uh, yeah. And, and those, those tantrums, behaviors, dealing with uh, challenges around sleep and crying. The early parenting stuff has been top of the list since 2006 when we launched. And it, you can almost predict what the big topics will be. But then more recently, there is a more of a mixture in there around mental health concerns or how teens are going uh, with their risk-taking. Risk-taking was a bit of a spike there last month. So we thought that was interesting. And do we feel that increased screen time plays a part in a child's mental health? Look, the main impacts in health around screen time are really the impacts on things like social interaction and physical health. So when it comes to digital technology, of course, too much of anything is detrimental. And too much time on a screen, of course, over like a whole day's worth of time will have its negative effects. But we, we tend to think of screen time a bit black and white. Like a few years ago, we thought of screen time and non-screen time. And that, that's not so simple anymore. It's basically screen time is, can be all of the time, really, with, with different devices. So what we focus on these days is a couple of things. One is making the most of screen time because it, there are real benefits in uh, using technology. And then balancing it, balancing it with the other social interactions, with the other physical activities. And, and on, on Raising Children, we've got some really nice ideas there for folks who are thinking, what is that balance? What does it look like? So it's, it's not as simple as it used to be where, you know, oh, let's think about it for two hours a day or less or more. And, and depending on the age of the child, now it's more like, what is the balance between screen and non-screen? And then what's going on in the technology? What are they doing? What are they consuming? What are the, the benefits? Are they learning? Are they interacting with friends? Are they creating content? Mm. Uh, there's so many good things that can be happening there. And there's the risks online as well. So a lot to think about. That's so good to hear because um, my family is all interstate and they're in Victoria. So we haven't seen much of them in the past two years. And my kids will, I'll often set up FaceTime on my laptop and my kids will like play with my parents because my parents actually have a cubby at their house. So like my parents will play in the cubby and my kids like tell them what they want them to do and that kind of thing. And I've been thinking, I'm like, well, technically it's screen time because they're looking at a screen, but surely it's not not the same as their television time or whatever when they literally sit there and like mung out in a trance, mm. which we still need because we st- I still need them to have that <laughs> quiet time. But, yeah. you know, and I was like, surely this can't all just exactly. be lumped together as this is your allotted screen time because they're being social and creative and interacting, exactly. and so, et cetera, so et cetera. Exactly. So the research backs that up. It says that it isn't a blanket thing, screen time. There's a lot of different activities and content, good and bad content, good and bad activities, uh, in terms of developmental outcomes, you know, and sometimes a child isn't getting much from a screen developmentally, and that's okay for a little bit. Why not? Why not have a bit of that kind of time? But the point is to be aware of what's going on and in the content, in the activity, and then how's the balance between the tech time and the non-tech time. I love that because I have a eight-year-old and a seven-year-old who they love the idea of TikTok. They hear about it all the time, yet I don't feel entirely comfortable because I can't sit and monitor what they're doing. So I told them instead of that, you can either use the device to create your own dance, like so you're watching yourself and creating your own videos, and then you can use, I have like a video app that I use for for work, and they've started to, you know, understand of how to edit and put transitions in, and it's kind of just flicked a different way instead of watching 
you know, sometimes it's okay to obviously watch brain numbing things, but for them to actually do things that are educating them and they're learning, it makes us as parents feel a whole lot better. Yeah, yeah, it does. And, and parents feel that they can be part of that as well. Um, for example, uh, one of the tips on, on, our, on our site is to do things with your child using technology, you know, uh, whether it's the dance or an adventure game mm. or using maps to do a treasure hunt. Don't worry, I'm dancing. <laughs> I was going to say, Jade, when are we going to see some of these yeah, I'm in there. I want to see you. <laughs> to be continued. <laughs> uh, yeah, and, and doing things with your child has real benefits there for everybody. So it's a, it's, it's a real about looking at the overall mix, what's happening with technology. Now, a little bit more on our current state of things. Do we have any information about the impact of masks and what this will have on kids' mental health and social abilities going forward? There's not a lot of, you know, new and reliable research about masks and children reacting to masks over the, and any effects of that long term. I mean, it is true to say that children, especially young children, will have reactions around masks. For example, a young child may get a little scared if they can't see the face of, of an important adult, or even if a child's a little older, they might find it difficult to uh, socialize with other others who are wearing masks, and that, that's a bit jarring for them. The good news is that as far as we can, we can tell, children adapt. They adapt quickly to the situation where there's a lot of mask wearing, and there's no real um, evidence yet that, that there's a long-term negative impact. And this will, this kind of hooks onto something I'll talk about a lot in our chat, which is relationships. So, you know, if relationships can get effective, maybe by the fact that there's a mask in the way, but there's lots of different ways that the relationship between a child and anybody is, is, is supported and kept positive. So there's lots that can go in there to help that relationship keep going and connected. And relationship is really at the heart of a lot of good outcomes for kids. My three and a half year old just uses it as an excuse to tell me off. She's always the one that reminds me as we're walking in anyway, mum, you've forgotten your mask. I'm like, oh, you bought this. It's just another way that you can tell me what to do. But I wonder if we could even look at countries like, I don't know, for example, Japan. I mean, in Japan, it's very normal to wear masks. Like I would only be guessing that I don't see that that's had an impact on the children over there, but I haven't looked at any evidence in it. Like it's it's not a completely new thing for people to wear masks because it's just a very new thing, I guess, in the Western world. Indeed, it's a, it's a good point. And I'm not aware of any research that has said, you know, there are negative mm. impacts in terms of other cultures and masks, but I am aware of a lot of the research that says, you know, good interaction and positive, warm relationships are really at the heart of a lot of good outcomes for kids. And I think, I think it's fair to say that a few things might be brought up like masks and other barriers between parents and children. And the big picture is how's the relationship? Well, my child who is eight likes to put the mask on me when I'm arguing with her. So she just puts it on my face <laughs> so to say, gagged. I think you've had gagged. enough. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Tell her she can just get a set of uh, like earplugs yeah. and it does much the same thing. Oh, God. <laughs> I can't win. Now, does leaving babies to cry or to self-settle have an impact on their future mental health? There's been a lot of interest in this one over the years. It can cause a lot of debate and, and, and you know, emotional uh, opinions getting brought to the table. The short answer is there isn't any evidence that's long-term impacts, negative impacts of, in particular, this sleep strategy that gets called control comforting. Mm -hmm. Now, it's important to uh, watch out for different terms and different names. For example, the research I'm talking about is about control comforting. It's a particular way of encouraging your child to settle. 
it's one of a number of things you can try. It may not work for you, may not work for your child. There's a lot of different things you you can try and consider when it's about sleep and settling. But control comforting has been well-researched and there's no um, evidence of of any long-term or short-term negative impacts on that one. It's different to a thing called extinction or crying it out approach. Uh, If you look at those names, those terms, they're different and there isn't strong evidence about those. But on control comforting, which is about, you know, helping your child and still being available to your child and checking on your child. Parents can check it out on, on our website as a technique. And there's not much to say in terms of negative outcomes. There are there are some things to say about positive outcomes for children settling and parents' distress and improving. Sign so me up. That's the story on that one. But I think the main thing is there's a lot of other things you can try as well. It's one of a toolkit that you can try if you're having trouble with sleep. And I guess those, they do kind of all get lumped together, don't they? I mean, we've done control crying with both of our girls. Still, my 18-month-old wakes up about one a night. So maybe it wasn't a hundred percent great with her, but it worked a treat with our first. And, um, I feel like whenever I spoke to anyone about it, they would assume I meant cried out. And, and I was like, no, no, it's not that if she cries, no matter what, we just leave her until she stops crying. It, it, it seems a lot more controlled than that, but I guess you've got to do what you feel comfortable with. And I guess there's a lot of parents who wouldn't feel comfortable even with controlled crying. So yeah, I guess, mm. you, yeah, you've got to find something that, that works for the whole family. Exactly. There's, there's strategies and there's tools and there's some nice evidence for, for different strategies, but that's not the end of the story. It's about what will work for you. Try it out. What will work for your child? Try it out. And that might change over time. Mm, we say we say don't go with control comforting before 6 months generally we say but um after 6 months it's something that can be tried and then just dropped or retried later. Is there anything that we can do when our kids are really young so babies toddlers to prevent or reduce I guess, their risk of having mental health issues later on? Or is it more so that like an anxious child is born an anxious child? Good question. Um, well, like I was saying, anxiety and anxious feelings are part of life for me, you and our children, and they'll have different reasons for those feelings at different times. So in a sense, we're all born uh, a bit anxious and it's part of our natural defense mechanism to be anxious, to be worried at times. If we weren't worried at times, we might not have um, survived. <laughs> <laughs> so with, with children, there are things you can do. I mean, of course, there's being aware of how they're feeling. And then if they're old enough to listen and talk with you, for you to have that communication is to talk about feelings. If that's possible with a young toddler and you're able to say, talk about sadness or feeling worried, or I see you are upset, getting, getting a little conversation going so the child knows it's okay to talk about feelings. And feelings are a thing we can mm. talk about. Um, I see my parents saying sad that they're feeling sad or that they notice I'm feeling sad and that's okay. That's a really great start to talk about feelings. And then when it comes to concern that's carrying on, there are things you can do there as well. If, you, if, it's, if it seems to be something that you, your good is telling you this is continuing, then you can, of course, talk to a professional. But I think in the early years, like you're asking, it's about you know keeping an eye on how your child seems to be behaving and how their emotions and their behaviors are going and checking in if you have a concern and talking if you can talk with them about the feelings they're having. And the, the new um, app we've just launched, Raising Healthy Minds, is just a tool to help you do that. It, it, it'll, it'll help you through those questions. So 
Is the app basically just an easier access to what your website is? It's sort of like a, a little brother. of the, it's, it's different. It's a new thing and it focuses just on emotions and behaviours hmm. and it focuses on tailoring information. So you'll get, you'll get stuff for a seven-year-old or eight-year-old whereas another parent will see messages to do with a toddler or infant. It's tailored yeah. and it's it's niche. It's about behaviors, emotions, and it's, it's really about mental health for parents to explore concerns they might have or just a curiosity. They might just be wondering, you know, what am I seeing? Yeah. So the first thing the app does is it asks you, what are you seeing? What are you noticing? Is childcare beneficial or negative generally for kids' mental health? Again, this is a big question. Lots of debate over the years. Mm. The short answer, I mean, there has been a lot of different studies. There was a large study done in the US uh, in the early 2000s, and they looked deep into this. And the short answer is, from, from, from most of the research, is that there isn't a difference, really, any significant difference at all, whether a child is uh, in childcare or not. What does make a huge difference is the family environment and the family relationships. So we're back to that kind of nurturing and relationships angle again. They did find a couple of other interesting things in that work, you know, that children who who are in homes with good interactions with their mother, they tend to do well. Children who are in family homes that have good routines and lots of activities and, and books and, and materials, again, these were good factors for a child's outcomes. But what wasn't, you know, highlighted as a major factor was whether they were in a childcare or not. Right. That's so good to know that like, you know, if you are working full time or even if you're not and your child is going to daycare, say five days Mm. a week, even though they're maybe not getting that like one-on-one time that they may get at home, there's still plenty of home time to, I guess, make up for that. I mean, my children in daycare, I'm not putting down daycare, but it's, it's not like, oh, well, all their time is spent at daycare, so you can't come back from that or anything like that. Yeah, so, you know, research backs up the idea that family has more of an impact on the outcomes than than childcare. Now, having said that, of course, then it comes to what childcare and you you can have a look at different types. On our our site, you can use a checklist to, to have a look at what kinds of activities are happening in the daycare. So there are choices to be made once you're going with with childcare, but big picture is, it's family and the home environment that really matters. There's a real move at the moment towards gentle parenting. And I think it's it's great in its premise, but I think it stresses a lot of parents out because they wonder where, like, the when can they discipline or how can they discipline or what's an appropriate amount of discipline because that they're wanting to do gentle parenting. Is there much hard evidence or research around gentle parenting versus a more disciplinary type parenting? I'll tell you something. Um, A few years back, I, I was doing a bit of a research on this idea of different parenting styles. And what we noticed was if you looked for different types of parenting, like you mentioned gentle parenting, you can come up with 150 different approaches, different named parenting approaches. And the list just keeps growing. So gentle parenting, as an example, is a current you know, term that's being walked around a bit like helicopter or tiger and so on and so on. Oh, what's yeah. tiger? <laughs> Please tell. I think the tiger parent was the kind of aggressive, you know, real protective, but I can't even remember. It was, it was in the media Picks for five minutes. Picks them up by the of their neck. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, in terms of the actual research and, 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 and knowledge around this, Often what we talk about are four kinds of parenting. There's the authoritarian, so quite firm, very disciplinarian. There's the more permissive 
which might be uh, closer to this gentle parenting, so more permissive. There's the uninvolved, so the less, less hands-on parenting. And then there's an authoritative, and that's these are the official terms that come out of the research. And what has been said, and this, this relates a bit to your the question about gentle parenting, what has been said is that authoritative parents, those who are warm and responsive to their kids, but also firm and fair when they need to be, mm-hmm. that, that style tends to be aligned with some good outcomes for kids. So authoritative parents often have a good structure to how they're making decisions and they're staying consistent with their decisions. But they're also giving their children some independence, some autonomy and to, to, to do their own thing. So in, in terms of gentle parenting, it depends on exactly what's happening in the, in the interaction. There's not a lot of research that I'm aware of specifically on that particular style, mm. but this authoritative, warm, responsive and allowing children to but with boundaries, with boundaries yeah. and allowing children to have age appropriate kind of independence that tends to, to, to be matched up with good outcomes for kids. I quite like that because sometimes I think of gentle parenting and then it's like, well, what's not gentle parenting? Do you know what I mean? Like the second you stray away from that, it kind of has, I don't know, connotations that I don't particularly like in the way that it's like, oh, when it's called gentle parenting, well, that means that anything that's not gentle parenting is not gentle but parenting. back in the day, back in the day, didn't, like, I, I swear there wasn't so much of a focus on what parenting style we all chose and who was a helicopter parent like I feel like they just parented the way they did and no one put a label on anything and they just went on with life but I guess they also like smacked kids and stuff as well well I wasn't thinking of the discipline side I guess I was just thinking of the focus of how involved we are in terms of parenting and you know the way we put our children to bed just everything I mean this is the whole reason we have a podcast on parenting because there's just so much conversation around it I think that's fair to say I think in terms of the styles or approaches of parenting it has evolved over the years. You see generational differences. You do. But that's not to say that they're all different styles have existed at different times. They, you know, I think there have been different kinds of parents across the decades. I think you've hit on something there, Jade, which is the conversation on parenting has, has certainly mm. exploded in the last 20 years. And the conversation about styles of parenting has really grown so now we're using a lot of names and different terminology in, in, the, mm. in the media and, and discourse about how we're doing or what we're doing. We're labeling it more. Mm. I think the actual behaviors are probably not changed radically. We have different styles in different situations because surprise, surprise, children are different and so are adults. So we have different temperaments and different approaches to things. That's not going to change greatly. I love that, though. Yeah, it's a great thing. And and then we have more knowledge and, and information to back up our choices, but they will be our choices and how we go about these things, as we, how we parent. We've got more available to us now to help us with those choices. But the range of approaches is going to be still mixed because people are different, just like children. Do we think on a whole, though, like all that information, surely it has its positives and negatives, like, and with the labeling as well. Like, surely it's so great that, you know, that parents are having these conversations amongst themselves, but surely that also leads to a little bit more, like, or a lot more pressure. Mm. Look, more information often means more paralysis and not knowing exactly where to go. That's why Raising Children Network exists. It's, it's a place to go where you know you can start. 
but also more information means more debate and conversation. So people might feel mm. pressure. The media often uh, are involved in parent shaming and parent blaming, and we do it to each other. It can be quite a negative environment mm. sometimes. One thing that we've found recently in the research is if you focus on children and their development and what's good for children's development, and we do have some good research there now, that's a great place to start your conversation. And it's a great place to, to, to kick off any any conversation with policymakers and with um, with each other, because everybody tends to rally together around what's good for kids. Uh, and this research that we've done, are, it's, about, it's about framing, it's about framing how we talk. And it's basically told us, if you talk about kids developing more than good parenting, bad parenting, mm. you, you'll, you'll have a better conversation and you'll probably get more support for what you're saying. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. It's less, I guess, like th- that one is a direct outcome of the other kind of. Or is it less opinionated because it's it doesn't seem as a I think this, I think that. It's, oh, what should we be talking about and discussing it like together? Yeah, yeah, it's, it is kind of like that uh, because when you say opinionated, what often happens around opinion is triggers. You're getting triggered because you hear a certain mm. phrase. So if you hear somebody say, what's good parenting? And you have all these triggers in your head and you say, okay, I think it's this. And I think you're born with it. Or I think this, or I think that. Whereas if the conversation is different and it's what's good for kids, what helps kids with their development, you're not going to get as triggered by the things you've heard in the media over your years or what you've heard from a taxi driver or a friend. Or, uh, and you're not, those unhelpful triggers won't be set off quite as much as, as mm. the more positive kind of framing, which is what's helpful for kids. And and then what do we do to support children there? Speaking of generational parenting, is there research around what like bum smacking can lead to in terms of kids' mental health? Oh, in terms of mental health, it's a bit of a, a, a not easy line to draw, but the research does say something very clear about discipline and smacking, and that is that it doesn't teach children very effectively. So mm-hmm. it might sort of be a circuit breaker in the moment if a parent uses physical discipline or snapmacking, it might stop the behavior in that moment. But what we really like to focus on with behavior is understanding what's going on. Why is the behavior happening for the age of the child? What is that behavior about? Are they, what are they trying to achieve? Because generally speaking, behavior is, is, is kind of a communication. A child's trying to tell you something by behaving a certain way, even very young children. So we look at it from that angle. What's the behavior about? How do we understand it? And as a parent, can I get into what's going on there? And then if I do understand it, can I help avoid it in the future? Can we find another thing for the child to do, distract them or move into it? Lots of strategies around the behavior. And so I guess with smacking, they're not not doing the action because they know why they shouldn't be doing it. They're just not doing it because they don't want to be smacked. Exactly. And that's not a deep learning. Uh, Whereas other strategies, Mm. for example, the classic one of just encouraging good behavior, when you see it, raising it. Yes. Yes. That is a teaching tool. That is, that's a child learning. Okay. So this is what's, you know, goes over well. Instead of being told no. Yeah. And um, more learning going on there than there is uh, in in, in a smacking situation. I picked my daughter up. She's two and a half from daycare yesterday. And I looked at her little friend and I said to the teacher, I really hope that that wasn't my child because the little girl had scratches on her face. And they said, a few weeks ago, we thought Yumi was doing it out of frustration 
but we're beginning to see that this might be out of attention. So now they're trying and us as parents are trying to work out why she's trying to scratch because they're not obviously meaning to hurt someone because she's laughing and it's a little bit creepy and psycho. But, (laughs) you know, I as a parent obviously feel terrible because that's happening and I have cut her nails. But in terms of understanding like how I can approach this, I guess, um, situation, I said is exactly what you were saying, try and make me remember when she's doing something incredibly good to say, well done, you're doing a really good job or you're being really nice to this person today, that's great, mm. and just ignoring the negative behaviour so perhaps she can forget that. Exactly, and and it's there's a range of things in there and, and there's even more strategies to think about that we cover on, on Raising Children Network. We'll be going on. Yeah, it's it's the it's the praising of good behavior, but also at times when you need you do need to circuit break sometimes a behavior that's that's risky or harmful. And sometimes sometimes ignoring is is also a strategy if it's the right situation. We yeah. w- wouldn't ignoring can can be controversial if it's used really just get it again she just keeps exploring it so um so lots of tools in, in the in the kit bag for behavior but uh, yeah, many fantastic. many of them focus on uh, praising and encouraging good behavior because awesome. i guess the, uh, around that age they just kind of are looking for a reaction of any mm. kind right and they don't really care if that's a positive or yeah. a negative reaction and goldie my 18 month old she attacks our three and a half year old all the time. And it takes everything in me not to be like, no, stop. Because I know she's just looking for a reaction. So I've been trialing just hugging Poppy, who's my older daughter instead, so that the younger one hopefully learns that we'll like, even when the younger one hurts the older one, it's the older one who's getting the attention, not the younger one. But it takes everything in you not to just yell at them and tell them to stop when she's like clawing at Poppy's face. Yeah. In in managing behavior and, you know, dealing with toddlers, there's often a thing that we we forget, which is how are we doing emotionally? How are we doing? So in that moment, you're you're actually distressed and you've got your own thing going Mm. on. And then it, it can often come down to how anxious a parent is in trying to understand behavior and manage behavior how are they doing themselves? Are they actually in need of some strategy to help with their own behavior in that moment? Because you could imagine it could be a vicious circle. Absolutely. What age should we start and how do we start speaking to kids about mental health issues? I think uh, as soon as you're able to have communication with your child using words, it's never too early to talk about feelings because emotional uh, emotional life and the behaviors that come out of emotions there are, that's all happening quite early. Uh, it's not necessarily a conversation about mental health that you mm. using those words. But what we know is that what good mental health looks like for anyone, including children, is uh, being able to regulate their own emotions, having good relationships with others, being able to be kind to themselves. You know, if something goes wrong, being okay with that mistake and so on. Uh, being able to try new things and try out new 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 activities they haven't tried before. There's a range of things that come under this umbrella that we call good mental health or mental health. So with all that in mind, it's never too early to talk to a child about feelings, about what you noticed. I can see that you're feeling this way. Uh, mm. And then also to talk about how you're feeling. One of my favorite things in our new app is we have this message that we send out to parents. It's tailored 
But the message is, it's okay to fail. And the idea that you could model that for your child. Oh, no, I tried to make mm. a cake and it didn't work. Oh, well, I'll try again next time. And your child's seeing you. <laughs> while, you're, while you're saying expletives <laughs> internally because you have to bake another and then you and that's of course what you'd be doing uh if you're alone or maybe with your partner <laughs> but uh yeah. one one of these teachable moments is where you can your child can see you get say oh dang it uh, i'm gonna have to try that again and it's it's not a small thing because they're witnessing resilience in you yeah right mm. and is there kind of a limit to that in the way that like I don't know, like I think it's so important to show our kids that we feel a range of emotions too, but like say we're angry at our partner or we're extremely upset because someone we know has just found out they're unwell or we've got bad news or whatever. Like how do we know what is like an appropriate amount to grieve in front of them or cry or be angry in front of them before we're just going to like scare them? That's a great question because children at different ages and stages are uh, more able and ready to witness, you know, stronger emotions in their parents. Uh, so it's what I'd say there is when it comes to powerful feelings like real sadness, uh, anger or grief, there are ways you can communicate with your child around those in an age appropriate way. It's hard to cover them off right now, but I will say that in general, talking with children about how you're feeling is a good thing uh, in an age appropriate way. So if they're mm. if they're just a toddler, then it's it's about sadness or I'm feeling a bit frustrated or I feel a bit worried. And it's a common word in my house, frustrated. <laughs> and then and then but modeling how you, you're you're able to label that feeling and feel okay about talking about it and then coping and then moving on. When it comes to bigger feelings, there's some good tips on on raising children around talking about grief, talking about traumatic events at different ages and stages. It's it's a it's a careful thing at those those bigger those bigger issues. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I guess it's important to explain to them, you know, that the sadness or the anger is is not because of them. Is that right? Because don't kids think that like the whole world revolves around them. So surely if you're sad, it's probably because they've done something. Do they feel like that? Or is that just my toddler? <laughs> uh, toddlers and teenagers, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, oh, she's 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 a three-nager, that's for like sure. That. So that's I don't doubt one. it. Maybe we can flip it and go teen-oddler. Teen-oddler, yeah. Do you know, though, Yumi actually does this when we're, anyone's arguing in the house or someone's crying, usually Billy, that she will turn around and say, sorry, mum, or sorry, Billy, and oh. she's not even there. So she genuinely does. I think that is a thing. There's nothing sadder than when kids apologise for things that had Especially when mum farted and, and it wasn't them. you. <laughs> <laughs> you blame it on them. It wasn't me. <laughs> the, the teachable moment of smell the smell. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that should be on there. Uh, in particular, when it comes to um, any kind of angry feelings, for example, a bit of conflict between parents or just I think anger in general, if there is strong feelings, it always helps to reassure children that it's not about them or it's not because of them. But there's this other, you know, we're working something out or I'm working at something out and I'm figuring this thing out and I feel I'm feeling angry mm. about it uh, at the moment. Uh, but a good a good reassurance. And it gets even more important if there are more serious situations around negative interactions, adults, even abuse or violence, that children are protected, especially young children protected from that. Uh, and if they are witnessing it, then they're supported in that because those bigger mm -hmm. things can be can be traumatic for children. Um, 
So, and even yeah. the um, uncommon like situations of, you know, like a death and I struggle with this because I don't actually have a lot of, I haven't had close relatives around me really pass away. So I'm a bit frightened myself of the topic, but our dog recently passed away and my seven-year-old was watching us like surround the dog and put her down. And I was mindful of how she was feeling and she was trying to process what was going on. And then I asked her to come and sit on my lap if she felt comfortable. So she did that. She wanted to understand. She understood empathy. She was feeling for everyone being sad for the dog. She she understood that the dog was actually not here And then the way that the lady that put the dog down, sorry, long story short, is that she told Billy to go pick some flowers out so she could contribute to sending the dog on her way. And honestly, it was one of the most incredible yet sad moments of our family moments. But to watch that happen while, you know, that went on, it was a very Mm. bittersweet moment. Mm, That's a great story and a a nice nice picture of, you know, a young child dealing with grief and learning on the job, learning in the moment about grief. It is it is a fascinating process. And and actually pets, uh, one of the reasons for having pets is the opportunity to experience grief in that context and prepare for life later on. In terms of, you know, the, the advice around this, there are there's some nice tips on, on raising children around talking about grief and preparing children who are, who are just witnessing it for the first time. And it's a it's a lifelong journey, of course, getting getting more you even for adults to to adapt to those situations. Absolutely. I uh, yeah, I guess it would just be so hard because like to I guess Billy in that situation, like the dog London is still there. So it must be oh, such yeah. a hard thing to grapple mm. that you know, and I feel like in cartoons or whatever, they like float off on, into the sky or whatever, or you see the spirits come out of them. And it's like, in reality, you can't see that. So, But I'd love yeah, to know what's age, and it, it might be on the app of what is age appropriate, because I really don't think that my toddler who genuinely loves, you know, the dog would have understood the situation at hand when we were going through that. So I didn't actually have her home at the time. Yeah. And toddler is quite young, even to ask them what their questions are. Yeah. Mm. Because often the advice is around listening and kind of tuning into your child about how they feel or what they're wondering. And that's, that can be helpful in this sort of school age child and, and older. Right. When it comes to toddlers, I think it's about just sort of what you were saying, looking at what the effect is on the child. I mean, after all, for very young children, there may be little effect if they're not as aware of the significance of the event. Well, she's still looking for the dog. So uh, yeah, <laughs> I think, yeah, we, we did the right thing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think it, I think it's such a good point to make that so often we kind of assume what our kids are worrying about or, you know, something will happen in the day that will stress us out. So we'll assume that that's had the same effect on our kids. And I remember one afternoon quite recently, my three and a half year old Poppy, she was, she came home from daycare and she was just, a bit down and I just assumed she was a bit tired and, you know, she'd had a couple of days in a row and something like that. So I was doing all these things to help her. I was like, you know, you can chill out on the couch, like, you know, Mm. thinking she's tired. That's why. Anyway, it wasn't until she got into bed and her friend at daycare, Bowie, she goes, I didn't get to give Bowie a cuddle goodbye before I left daycare today. Mm. So I was putting (laughs) all these things in place to help her with her tiredness and she wasn't tired at all. And so we just got her friend up on 
on FaceTime and we were like, oh, you know, Bowie, Poppy just wanted to say goodnight because she didn't get to say goodbye to you properly because she left quickly from daycare today. And she was bloody happy as Larry. I was like, <laughs> I could have FaceTimed you four freaking hours ago and we would have had a happy household. Nice. That's a great example of tuning in. And yeah you, yeah, you know, maybe you wish you tuned in earlier in the day, but you tuned in and, and you're <laughs> finding out what is it you're know, thinking, what are you feeling? And you nailed it um, and you found out. And I think that's that's the thing we often project. We often project, especially in times of like COVID or other difficult times. We might think our children are thinking certain things, but just ask. Yeah, totally. Very simple, yet you forget, don't you? Can we talk a little bit about separation anxiety? What is it and how can we kind of know what's normal versus what is kind of above that and requires some assistance? Yeah, yeah. So separation anxiety is... It's common and normal, and it's just a fear of being away from parents or carers. That's what it is. It's, it's very natural for a child because they've been in your presence so much. And it'll be shown that the behavior will manifest in different ways, but often it uh, looks like a protest or an upset uh, when you're separating. It can start around eight months, roughly, uh, and then mm. it can really peak around 18 months, and, and, you know, of course, that's the time when often childcare is beginning as well or has begun. <laughs> so, yeah, nice coincidence. And, and it usually goes away gradually throughout childhood. So it's a normal part of development and to be expected. And it's a really a case of watching how it does dissipate and whether it does disappear over that those following months. Then it comes back to that that other classic advice. If there's something that you were thinking isn't quite right, this is going on and it seems quite pointed. It's going on for more than a couple of weeks and uh, as a serious anxiety. And I'm, I feel that there's something more going on here. That's a good time to say, I'm going to talk with my GP, have a chat with a pediatrician or child health nurse and, and see if there's more to this. So it's a mixture of going with your good and looking, okay, this is going on longer than usually expected. And what are some signs that we should seek help with this versus the normal anxiety? There isn't specific separation anxiety steps to take. It really is the same as for any kind of worry or anxiety. So if you're noticing something, it feels quite a strong feeling and it's just persisting, you know, especially beyond the, the normal time for separation anxiety being those that window if it's outside of that window and it still seems to be strong and it's going on for weeks, it's a good sign to check in, have a conversation with somebody else about it. But as a parent, you know, you do know your child pretty much better than anyone else. So use that as well. Use that as a trigger, even without timeframes. It's always worth mm. exploring with a professional. It's always worth taking the moment just to explore something that's on your mind. It's such a hard balance between wanting to protect our kids but also wanting them to learn how to be resilient um, because, you know, life's not fair at times no matter how much we try and cushy it for them. What are ways that we can do both? I mean, for example, my three-and-a-half-year-old, she, you know, I don't want to call her sensitive because I don't want to label her, but my 18-month-old is really tough. Like she can work headfirst into a table and she, like, shakes her head <laughs> yeah. and keeps walking the other way, whereas Poppy, like, she'll stub her toe and you'll hear about it for three weeks. And she sometimes will stub her toe and then refuse to, like, walk the next day or whatever. And I find it really hard weighing up between, like, wanting to give her sympathy but not, like, but wanting to tell her you 
can walk, like you can do it, but then not wanting to force her at the same time. Mm. And I just find it such a hard pull. Mm. Not that learning to stub your toe and keep walking is really that resilient, but you know what I mean? I do know what you mean. I wish I'd learned that one. I I can still be like a a toddler if I hurt my toe. Hey, that bloody hurts. I reckon that's up there with childbirth, to be honest. (laughs) I don't know why. Evolutionarily, why is it that painful? It's so painful. And I swear because it hurts her so much, she does it like three times a week. I'm like, can we just learn to pick up our feet while we walk, for God's sake? Hey, uh, resilience is one of my favourite topics because... Sometimes it's oversimplified and people simply call it bouncing back. Um, there's a lot to resilience and it really is about doing well when, 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 some, when things are going bad or doing well after things have gone bad or the, an adversity, you know. Uh, we've done a lot of work around resilience in our research and, and online advice. And what's really interesting about it and this idea of bouncing back is that there's a few things that help a child be resilient, not just one, not just learning to kind of pick yourself up. So there's four things that jump out as, as key things around this resilience idea. Because first of all, it goes up and down for everybody. You're resilient on Tuesday, but not on Thursday. You know, uh, you're resilient because you on that. stuff's yeah. happening in your life and or just happened and it's affected your resilience. And then later on, you're, you're different at a different level of resilience. You're not born with a particular level of resilience and, and then you're set up. It's more like mm-hmm. a dynamic changing thing over time. But with kids, we do know that there's there's four things that help kind of bolster it. One is having a really good relationship with at least one adult in their life, you know, support, a really important adult's got their back. Second is an, uh, they have a sense of getting their own control, uh, their self-efficacy, we call it, which basically means I've got, I've got this, I've got a sense that mm. I've got things in my, in my own hands. That builds over time. You don't get that quickly. The third one is being able to try new things, you know, a healthy risk taking, being able to try new things. If it doesn't go well, trying again, that, that sense of, of mastering things uh, really helps with, with emotions and problem solving. And the last one, which I also really like, is a child having sources of, of good security, things like uh, hope, faith. It might be religious or non-religious faith, other cultural traditions in your family or in your community, those things that kind of good for the soul, if you like. That's the fourth Mm. thing that through careful research have come up to the top of the list as these are the things that are good factors, good factors for building up this resilience. And what I like about resilience and I like about those four things is they can be built on over time. It doesn't have to do with Mm. adversity. It doesn't have to do with bad times. They can be developing over time. And then that means a child is likely to be growing the resilience over time. So it's hard to relate it right back to the hitting your toe but over <laughs> but over time it's all right as long as we've got good music around <laughs> there and and heartwarming food yeah. and that's okay that that's easier than forcing her to walk that's why i can okay, go with so that. Maybe, uh, she's got a loving household and then, and so, so then maybe as time passes that's not such an issue for example yeah and it's interesting that you brought up the, what was it, the healthy risk-taking because someone wrote in saying that they have a particularly cautious child and they feel sad when they, well, the parent feels sad when they miss out on trying new things and that, and they wanted to know if there's a way that they can help encourage their child to, mm-hmm. to try new things but without feeling like they're being forced into Yeah, it. that's a really important point to, to, to kind of get right, isn't it, the, the balance because on one hand, we know that risk-taking, healthy risk-taking and age-appropriate trying new things is a good thing. On the other, 
there's temperament and there's where your child is at. And, and you would know that about your child. You would know if your mm. child is ready for this particular thing or not. You'll have a feeling about it. So you're keeping both in mind. The fact that it's good to promote and try things, constantly look for those opportunities. And you also know what your child's like and you know what they might be ready for. So you kind of marry those together and you say, okay, well, today we're going to try this and I'll encourage you to give it a go and we'll see how it goes because I know you, but I also know that we can, it's good to try things. We're still trying to get my um, seven-year-old to ride a bike, like without training wheels and fuck, you know, like (laughs) it is such a mission. Like she's clumsy as well. God love her. But she even last night was running around and then she got off her bike and stood in like a pile of prickles and screamed. And I was like, (laughs) I just... Where? Why is it the cautious oh, ones that are clumsy too? Are. That's the same with Poppy. Yeah, oh. yeah it's an interesting uh, anyway. question. I must, I must look into that. Is there anything around? Yes, you do. That needs to be on the app. I, I've always wondered, like I, I've got a friend whose daughter is the same age as Poppy and she calls her a mountain goat. Like she will climb anything. She says she'll be at the playground and there'll be other parents looking at her like, does this mum know her child is like at the top of the playground? But she says she so rarely hurts herself. Like it it just, it, she barely ever hurts herself. And I was like, maybe it's because from like, and she was like that from such a young age. I feel like she's just become so aware and Mm. coordinated of like of how her body moves because she's constantly trying these new things. (laughs) Whereas I feel like because Poppy barely leaves the ground. She's too busy stuffing her toe. Maybe, maybe, there's, <laughs> maybe there's something in there around coordination and, and practice. Uh, you know, so you, you, you practice uh, things and you and you get uh, different muscles are developing and you're getting uh, yeah. less, less clumsy, if you like. But it's an interesting question. Uh, I think I think overall, it's uh, it, this sort of not so ideal answer is there's temperament, there's what children are ready to do, and it's a it's it's a homey. And then of course it's how they're going in themselves at that time. Are they anxious around things? What's happening around them that at that time in their life and their family, that's all part of the mix when you're thinking about trying the bike again. But you might find that all of a sudden overnight it just switches. Oh, okay. And I guess maybe picking the Tuesday when they're resilient <laughs> rather yeah. than the Thursday when they're not so resilient like- <laughs> or whatever day of the week your resilience falls on. <laughs> Well, Derek, thank you so much for coming on and this has been such an incredibly informative conversation. We are so excited that you have this app and you've got all the support behind you. We are supporting you as well and we hope our listeners hop on there and have a look and it helps them as well. So thanks. Yeah, and we'll link it all in our show notes too. Thank you. It's great to connect up with Beyond the Bump and, yeah, I'd love to come back anytime and uh, if anybody... Oh, you'll be back. (laughs) I'll be back. Be careful what you wish for, Derek. That's it. Great to meet you guys. (laughs) Yeah, you too. Thank you so much. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of Beyond the Bump. If you enjoyed it, please subscribe and give us a review. If you didn't, good on you. You can also follow us on Instagram at beyondthebump.podcast to stay up to date on behind the scenes and future episodes. We'll see you next week. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.